Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. So in today's episode, we are so fortunate to talk to Dr. Louise Edwards, and she is going to unpack with, with us more about VR content creation. Louise has her PhD in Earth Science, and if you've listened to any of her stories, I love her little sort of vignette about climbing many volcanoes. Dr. Edwards has taught high school, she's conducted research, of course, and more importantly, she has developed strong skills in unity for VR development. But probably the most poignant part of her biography that struck me was she started a VR consulting company called Dreadwords VR Consulting. And I love this. She helps people build this profound relationship with the planet through VR. And we really want to talk about that today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Edwards. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I always love the origin story of people and what got them interested in VR in the first place. So let's start with that. So, um, yeah, I... I have no one to thank more than my husband, and he'll probably come up a couple of times in this conversation. So I'm an educator, scientist educator first. And um, back in 2016, he got, um, he built himself a fancy computer and got himself an HTC Vive. He's a little bit of an early adopter. And I put that headset on for the first time and he put me into budget cuts, this game where you're kind of trying to throw knives at oil spouting robots and um, and scared me to death in paranormal activity that I kind of lasted for like two minutes. Um, and um, I was just blown away by how totally immersed I felt in these worlds. And um, even with like pretty low poly graphics, really, like and these simple tasks to do, but I was just blown away. And uh, then after that, when I went into the classroom, all I could see were opportunities. And um, this was kind of, I think, before a lot of people had kind of connected. I, I mean, I'm sure there were lots of people thinking about VR and education at that point, but I wasn't really aware of them. And um, I, I think that what I was looking for and what I observed as a teacher was just such a great fit for this new technology. So I came in somewhat unusual as a teacher. I was fairly late stage in my career. Like I was in my mid thirties when I got into the classroom, I'd done a fair few other things and I had a background in science research and earth sciences, which is quite unusual for science teachers. And I noticed that there was a lot of struggle among teachers to teaching earth sciences curriculum it was hard for them to really connect with and then if you don't connect with it it's hard for you to connect it to the kids um, and get them excited about it and and also like nature of science concepts this idea of like where does this thing we call science come from and like what is it and like how do we as humans like what is our part in that process and what i really got excited about with vr 
is that, you know, you could really support students and teachers in kind of delivering this really important but often forgotten curriculum. So you could get somebody, take someone to a far off place and kind of really make these abstract concepts concrete. And, or you could put someone in like a lab situation where you're not just focused on um, the right answer, but the process of getting to that place. And so, oh, what if you could actually pour something and pour something in, in, in a virtual world and you could get that information that said, actually, no, you're not quite at the meniscus and let's just flow through kind of what those implications are. Um, and just kind of being able to have that reflective conversation, which is driven by data was just like super exciting to me as a, as a way to get to get students to really invest in the process and the idea of science, as opposed to just this collection of truths that, you know, we were standing at the front saying. So, and and that's not to mention getting excited about putting them inside a volcano or something like that. But I was like, all I could see was these opportunities. But honestly, I thought, well, uh, I am I am a teacher, I don't have any background in coding or anything like this. Like I, that's something that I'll have to push off until I meet a person who could build these things for me. Um, so I kind of put it to the back of my head, but it was, uh, it was just, yeah, it was a very exciting medium for me to kind of start supporting all of the great things that teachers are already doing in their classrooms. Yeah. And we're going to get to your development with the course you took through circuit stream, but you know, I want to circle back to, you know, a bunch of things that you said there. And one is, like you, there were so many neat opportunities with VR apps in the early days. So I, I got the opportunity to try out the Blue, which was, I think, in 2016 by a company called Weaver. And this was an underwater journey that basically put you on this sunken ship. And then you saw these jellyfish coming down and these other tiny creatures. And then this huge whale just sombers down towards you. And so gentle that even if, you know, you were scared of the deep or the underwater setting, it was just so subtle that, you know, you, you didn't get scared. And the realism and you, you could stick your hand out and you literally could feel like you were brushing on the side of the whale as it came across you and you could look it in the eye and I'm not the adventure that you are. And so for me, you know, going scuba diving and going deep underwater is really scary, but this allowed me the opportunity and affordance to do something I probably never would have done. And, you know, you talked about this with students and how, you know, the learning should be so much more than just facts and it should be a journey. And I just think about, why hasn't there been more experiences like the blue that take you to places like under the ocean, which, you know, lots of people like me would never want to go because we're scared of these locations and we probably know very little about it because we won't go there. Yeah. Like it's, um, it's a funny thing, right? Like, and I am happy to say that while there are not as many ocean-based experiences that as there are Beat Saber wannabes, there are definitely more coming. Like, um, um, there's a company called Vision Vision Three, a guy called Adam May, and he's building some really cool both 
social AR and VR experiences. Um, uh, uh, Critical Vision, I think, is one, which is an Orca one. Um, and um, he's just released one with uh, Ashlyn um, uh, Cousteau, who is part of the um, kind of the Cousteau family uh, called Drop in the Ocean about ocean plastics. Uh, Erica Walsley and her team at the Hydras have like proper kind of schools based experiences that take students on kind of path on on a, a scuba journey to just as you kind of described um a guy called um danny pimentel has done kind of a similar to us uh, um an embodiment um a vr experience where you where you become a sea turtle um so there are things out there in fact um that he and erica and another researcher called geraldine foville are actually collecting and putting together doing some research on these ocean-based um vr experiences called iReef um so there are there are more and more being developed and i think because it is we're in part of the un's decade of the ocean there's a lot of profile there with ocean-based stuff so more and more of these things are 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 happening and that's a great thing but to answer the other side of your question like in terms of its importance and its role i think i agree like taking people to these places i mean i it's it's this it's it's hard and at the same time really valuable like from my perspective I speak a lot about the role of awe and wonder of building empathy and connection with places and i think and and changing behavior and i think we need to make the world smaller and have these connections that we feel this really deep um, um, need to make decisions that take all of these places and all of these things into account. Um, but most of the, so either we don't live close to the ocean. I mean, I'm in, in the middle of Canada and I, I, I'm lucky enough to have spent time living near the ocean, but most of the time I'm far away. I know lots of people in their twenties who've never seen it. And this is in Canada, which is a really mobile country. Like there's lots of places people have no, don't have access. And even if you do have access, most of the time you just see the surface and it's so deep and so alien, right? So we are trying to convince people to have an, a, a relationship with something that is just really hard to, to, get into the mind of and um the creatures don't quite look the same as us on land you know we they they have arms and legs and like, there's just that connect that automatic connection but sea creatures we see them on our plates in fish if we eat fish but other than that we we don't have that that really empathic relationship with them and i think vr taking us down there is just so powerful to make us not just understand but feel i mean just think what david attenborough did with with um blue planet and blue planet 2 on our tv screens right like the stories through the stories that he told with some dramatic license but what he did there and what that team did was to build that emotional connection and i think taking people down to those places in an even more immersive and inter interactive way excuse me can only do that better in 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 my mind so i think it's hugely important i think why people haven't done it is because it's hard like it's it's 
getting a water effect is hard <laughs> and uh, when we're when we're trying to do that on a quest 2 a standalone device which is limited in its processing it takes it it, it takes a little bit more um trick camera trickery so to speak than doing some lambe stuff um and um making sure that people feel immersed without being sick and all of these things are just a little bit more it's just a little bit more of a challenge i think but as more ocean based experiences come to life um and the footage the 360 degree footage from expeditions and from people going down and this new technology that actually gets this the imagery that we can use as that becomes more available i think we'll see more opportunities i really want to get into this cuz it's that little vignette that you just told us already kind of tells listeners that you know a bit about the development side and I'm I'm so in awe of teachers like yourself who go down this path because I have dabbled a little bit and I've talked to lots of teachers who have tried to dabble a little bit in VR development with either Unity or Unreal Engine. And the, for anyone that doesn't know anything about these two platforms and programs, this takes an incredible amount of patience and tenacity. So first of all, Dr. Edwards, hats off to you to do that because it is not easy to have the time and the patience and the wherewithal to unpack using a program like Unity to tell a story like Under the Ocean or whatnot in VR. So, you know, what what has been, now that you've sort of taken your coursework through Circuit Stream, what has been maybe the most challenging part of sort of diving into not only being an expert on content, but also having the tools and wherewithal and understanding to actually build some of these experiences yourself. Well, I mean, I have, it has been the best decision in life that I've ever made. I think like I, I, I don't, if you'd have asked me five years ago, if I'd have if I could describe myself as a VR developer in Unity and I could use a game engine, I would have asked, what's a game engine? Um, so it's like I didn't even know that this existed really. So, um, but it's been an absolute joy. Um, but I was in a position where I could kind of take advantage of that opportunity. Um, and um, so it's been what personally on a personal level, like the challenge originally, I, I don't, the challenges have come later on, but at the, at the time due to luck and circumstance, I, it wasn't a great, there weren't that many great challenges because it was in the pandemic. I didn't have anything else to do. And it just, it was just the right thing at the right time for me. Um, and the, the course that I did was very easy to follow. I was so engrossed in doing this thing that I was happy to spend like all of my free time. My husband lives in, in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. He's a pilot with the air force. So like he was away. So I just had all of this time. So challenge wise, I was really lucky. Um, originally, like in terms of the reward, like immediately that you can, you can write like a text, like a few lines of text and get a thing on the screen to do what you want it to do. Like that pathway, like that's to me where the magic happens. <laughs> it's like, wow, I can write, I can write this. And then you actually do this thing. 
oh, now that's something special. So every time I got that and figured something out, it was like this jolt of dopamine to the brain. And, um, and then when you're then, so that, honestly, I think if I never got anything I built to market, I would be content um, because of that process. That, uh, but then I have to remind myself, you got into this because you wanted to share this vision and this feeling you have about the planet and help other people develop this relationship and, and, and benefit in the ways that you have. So I thought, well, I better get some other people in the headsets. And um, so I, one of my original games, like the first one that I started working on when I was doing my, um, doing my course is called Elevator to the Center of the Earth. And it literally does exactly what it sounds like. It puts you on an elevator, you go through the layers of the earth and you understand stopping at different places. You get to learn about not only the structure of the earth, but the processes and how earth scientists have used these different tools to unpick the story of our planet. Because we can't really carry out an experiment to do a lot of this, we have to infer it from data that we can collect. And that's kind of an interesting journey in terms of learning the gray areas of science, right? Like we're given, we sit in classrooms doing physics and chemistry and we can set up this nice clean experiment, but there's a lot of science and moving into kind of the social sciences where we have to be a little bit more, uh, Sneaky. <laughs> like we have to be clever. We have to kind of use what we've got and think about that. So I really wanted to start to get students thinking about how we adapt those approaches in these grayer areas. Um, and you learn. And, and anyway, I, so this is you go down and you you discover that the earth, most of the earth is green, which is like my favorite thing. And um, putting my 70 year old mother and then the at the time nine year old niece in the headset to do this. I, just one after the other and seeing their response and their reaction to being in control in this place and feeling like they are actually going at speed, hurtling down to the, the, the earth's core. Like that is so neat to see someone experience that, that you have built and then ask, and then ask all of these really cool questions afterwards. Cause what we're building here isn't this full complete after you do this you will know all about this and you will understand everything it's to get someone excited enough to want to look more and ask more questions and dive into that and be interested and to see people actually come out of these things and and do that like that is is totally the best reward to anything probably a thousand times better than how i remember learning it which was cutting an egg and a uh, hard boiled egg in half and trying to use that as a metaphor to understand all the different layers. And it wasn't even in our accurate, right? Like how is, you know, cutting an egg and looking at the structure of a hard boiled egg analogous to how the earth is not really, but that was the best tool we had at the time. So, yeah. And it's better than, it's better than a picture or a description, right? Like you just, but, and each time we're just moving forward to get these better representations and these better metaphors that, that we can use to help people connect. And wherever people can connect and make those accurate, those accurate frameworks in their heads that, that are persistent, then like, I, I think that you know, the, there's a lot of opportunity there. Let's talk about your most recent uh, VR application. So first of all, congratulations on being shortlisted. You guys made are now sort of in the running of the top 20 out of 
probably a hundred VR experiences that were submitted to this amazing contest put on by the UN and Exponential Destiny. And the challenge was that you had to develop a VR experience that raised awareness toward a sustainable development goal. So your VR experience, which is titled Found in the Fjords, focuses on life below water, and it takes players on this journey through Norway's Arctic fjords. It's during the winter, which is when the herring run is, and you're supposed to embody this juvenile orca. So tell us more about this and you know how it came to fruition, why maybe you guys decided to raise awareness towards this, because um, I think it's an amazing journey for people to understand. Yeah, so it's a little um, uh, an interesting and non-linear journey to get us to where we are now, as often things are. So um, a little bit of an overview of the game. So Found in the Fjords invites players to become a juvenile orca named Nora, who is experiencing the winter herring run in Norway's fjords for the first time. And we... We, she's learning from her mother and her grandmother how to um, exist and thrive in this area um, and how to adapt to the ongoing changes which come primarily from, but not exclusively, from humans. And um, part of the underlying theme that we wanted to get across here is the role of the, mat the, the matrilineal um process of cultural sharing. So the orca live in uh, matriarchal, fam matriarchal family pods, very close-knit family pods, and it is the matriarch, or grandmother often, who is um, who is the holder of the, is the elder, and she shares through um, language and other forms of orca storytelling, I guess, um, the how to hunt, how to feed, how to rest, how to play, how to coexist with other um, animals, and uh, how to love and share with within the family pod. So we really wanted to um, um, highlight these relationships. So as you go through, you are guided both by your mother um, and by a comb jelly called Clara, who kind of provides that input that maybe a mother wouldn't know. So a mother orca wouldn't necessarily know all about everything but we we provide this this or this comb jelly who can share more information about humans and other species and the 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 wider context to kind of put it in a little bit of perspective so you go and you learn how to carousel feed where which is a very cool thing that just this um a very cool technique that just this population of orca use where they will round up these herrings by flashing their white bellies and by blowing bubbles. Um, and when they get them into a tight ball, they'll thwack their tail really hard, stun about 15 of them and then just kind of nibble them. Um, and um, so that's really, um, we really wanted to kind of get people to see this because it's really cool to see these orca working together in this in this ballet, really of um, uh, uh, of hunting and um, communicating, and then you learn about kind of the history, and you then experience what life is like, kind of dealing with humans and interacting with fishing boats, and how to keep stay safe while also kind of taking advantage of us. So a lot of ecosystem ideas, and um, and then at the end, the I guess the big the big 
twist, I guess, is that actually at the end you undergo this 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 identity swap and become a snorkeler. So we were there on our expedition as snorkelers and scientists um, observing and researching. So we had this um, this interaction where you then, as as Nora, become a snorkeler. So you then become a human, go back to the the the, um, the vessel and have the opportunity to choose a call of action because it was a call to action, an, an ocean-based, an ocean-positive action that you can actually do in your, your life. Because um, firstly, I think in VR in general, you really have to be careful about managing that transition from the virtual world to the real world because we, we still operate in the real world and these experiences are really good for helping us reframe how we see the world. But if we don't kind of transfer that experience outside in a very deliberate way, then it gets lost, it gets kept and siloed in that virtual world. And that's not no no use to us. So we really wanted to um, take, make sure we guided people out of there. But also I think when we're, when we're confronted with all of these like negative stories and negative Im- consequences and impacts on our oceans, it can be really overwhelming, right? Like it can, it, we can, we can have a lot of anxiety. It's like, yeah, but what can I do? Like, but what, what does this mean for me? I, you're just sending me down into this depth, the depths of despair, but no real thing that I can do to start kind of crawling out of that pit. So I think it was important to us to, to, to give that, to, to allow people to say, okay, I have learned, wow, I have built this connection with these incredible creatures that form this really important role in our planetary health, our ocean health. Um, I want to protect them. I I hear that the ocean needs protection. What can I do? What can I do tomorrow that takes this experience out of the virtual world into my daily existence? And that was really important for us. And a really good point to my next question as an educator for many years, you know, I think we all do this. We try and strive toward maximizing student engagement. And so throughout my 30 years, I've always leaned in on from time to time, games, because I, I like games. I've, I grew up as a kid who played sports and, and so on. But throughout the years, there's always been pushback on the word or term game. And especially maybe someone who hasn't you know understood pedagogy or instructional design, they may hear the word game and balk at it because they see their kids playing you know, maybe non-educational games at home and then they don't want to hear the term game at a school or in a learning uh, setting because they don't understand quite how it might be maximizing learning. So you guys decided to hang your hat on the term game, but it's it's more than that. And, you know, tell me your thoughts around that. And are you worried at all as you roll this out, maybe two schools and two places where this learning needs to sort of to happen? that the term game uh, maybe creates uh, a problematic situation where, you know, parents and maybe more traditional educators say, well, I don't want my kids playing games. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, And I think probably I am less concerned about it because of how I feel about games-based learning. Um, And, and, and also when I talk to other educators and other parents and and things like i do have 
I, I benefit from the legitimacy of being a teacher, right? Like, I, so I think it's a little easier for me to get away with that and be able to, 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 to um, kind of share that. And, and I've done quite a lot of, um, like I've spoken to educators a lot about the role of games-based learning and also developers of to how to use what they do well to in- increase learning for the purpose of learning games or le- serious games or whatever. Um, but I personally, I just, I mean, and, and my approach is really to think, thinking about like really framing it from an educational perspective. So like, what do we really want? What, what works when, we, when, when we're teaching, you know what, like, you know, we can't step too high. We can't step too low. We need to meet kids where they are and give them a pathway forwards. We, we know that it works when, when we give some, some chance for exploration, some self-directed learning that is somewhat constrained. So people don't go like crazy off and get a whole bunch of misconceptions. We know that, that, learning is good when we give like direct targeted feedback and a pathway forward, right? Like all of these things I think aren't very controversial. And then you, then you say, but okay, then we're going to look at a video game and see how it does that. Oh, it has levels that gradually scaffold your learning. It brings you in, draws you in with a story. So you're motivated. So, you know, like if someone wants to be there, they're probably going to learn whether they want to or not. <laughs> okay. You know, and um, so it's, it's starting with those things and getting that common agreement about some of these things that are good for learning and then saying, well, look how good games are at this. Like I, I wasn't a gamer. Like I, I haven't been, but my husband is a lifelong gamer and he is a very analytical gamer too. And he just loves thinking about why he is feeling so connected to a particular game, like what it is doing that is just bringing him in. And he's very, he loves like a really story rich game. So I've really learned and take advantage of him, to be honest. Like, so what about this is really good that I need to start thinking about when I'm doing this? And and how do you, like, what is a really good example that really onboards a player well into this experience? And uh, so really kind of taking advantage of that. But it's really about, I think, starting from that understanding of, well, this is a path to becoming you start a game and you don't know what you're doing. And by the end of it, you're an expert. And isn't that what education is? <laughs> so like, they're doing something right. Uh, so I, I, uh, we decided to, to, to gamify, I think, because it works. And I think we're confident that we can explain why it works. And um, also, I think because our market is going to be a little we want our market to be a little bit broader like to maybe an audience which isn't actively looking to learn but we may be able to get some stealth learning in there by accident um <laughs> like get them in by wanting to find fish and eat them um and then get the end of them at, at the end of it actually get them inspired to actually make a change i love that stealth learning term so I listened to one of your amazing talks recently. You were at AWE or Augmented World Expo, and you said, I'm going to quote you here, in order to learn, we need to have an emotional reaction. And I love that. I believe that wholeheartedly. But if, if we talk to teachers and we look at curriculum and we, sc- we scan various uh, curriculum outcomes 
many don't necessarily buy this. And I, I say that because teachers often will gravitate toward the content curriculum outcomes. They'll look at the skill curriculum outcomes, but they often gloss over and even skip any section that lists like a affective or an attitudinal outcome. So this kind of narrow focus on just knowledge and skills can sometimes be detrimental to the use of VR. Tell me a bit more about that and how you feel about this amazing emotional tool, which is VR to, to grab a person, grab a hold of them through emotion. And, you know, is this mean that we have to work that much harder to convince teachers that VR is actually an amazing medium for us to, to, to get kids to learn? Well, I think it's what you bring, the problem you bring up is something that I've observed too. And I think, I think the issues that we're talking about kind of a twofold, kind of an individual level and a kind of more of a societal level. So I think as, as individual teachers, and I, I mean, I, I very much talk about this in the perspective of being a science teacher. Like, I think it's different issues when you talk about different disciplines, but I think it's, really hard for us as science teachers i think to let go of the ego a bit of of and accept that we are not necessarily there to share the truths of the universe um right like and um to let that go and appreciate that that the emotional state of our students is as or more important than um the the truths of the universe that we are trying to share, like is really humbling. And that's, that, that is something I still struggle with. Right. So to, to accept that at an individual level is hard and that will take time uh, to kind of get people on board with that. Like, it's hard. Like I remember the day when I realized oh, science isn't objective. Oh no. You know, like, <laughs> and I was alarmingly old. Um, so like, this is a, this is a journey. And then also at the societal level, we value the things that we, we can measure. Like we exist in a meritocracy in, in our, in our culture, at least like the, the dominant Western culture, we have developed this so-called meritocracy and we're obsessed with measuring. And the problem is, is that while we're obsessed with measuring, we're not that careful about whether the things we measure mean, mean anything. We just, we just care that we can measure them. And I think that leads us to measure things that are easy to measure. And that is content and knowledge and skills. And the things that are more difficult to measure are these attitudinal and these effective things. Um, that, but so we kind of push them off to the side because it's too hard. And when we think about what when if we're a high school teacher trying to get kids into university universities are still valuing that knowledge stuff and then and beyond and workplaces and they'll talk a good game about wanting critical thinking skills but honestly they don't i'm not sure they actually know what to do with them um because nobody we haven't got that in our culture to really really value them and 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 build them so i think that those two things are really kind of at the bait at the source of us of of, of them of of why which it's kind of hard to get teachers on board with that i mean even the way curriculum is written it's 
specific learning outcomes and attitudinal and general outcomes like as this after as this afterthought right uh, so that again these subtle indicators that this is what is important um that um that is and, and when we are time pressed as teachers which is a re which is an ongoing reality we are like we though we cannot hope to deliver all of that curriculum like it is impossible and um so we have to make choices and we are subtly told what those choices should be when it comes to vr development i think we can use that and again get in this stealth learning to kind of help teachers move along to this because just because we take advantage of emotion doesn't mean and we help develop that doesn't mean that we are neglecting those measurable content outcomes right like we well I, and i think we do it better when we grab those um uh, grab those um uh, that the attention of those students like and it makes it even more important that your content is good because more people are going to be paying attention um so i think we can still tell the story and find an argument that meets where a teacher where an edu where a school where a division is at very like focused on that and say like yeah we will help you there but then once we've convinced them <laughs> that this is good for what's important to them right now, show them the ways that it helps in all of these other ways that they don't feel that they have the skills to teach. They don't feel like they're giving the support for. And we say, look, we're going to give you this for free inside this really effective learning experience. Wow. Listen, I'm mindful of time here. So I just want to give you an opportunity as we wind down. Is there anything maybe left unsaid that you feel you wanted to talk about on today's podcast as we wind down? Uh, no, it's been a really fun conversation. Is there I mean, anything else you'd like to kind of follow up on? <laughs> I, I could talk all day with you because as you alluded to, it is so uh, refreshing to have someone that has, you know, not only the superpowers of being kind of a teacher expert, but also the powers of sort of understanding how to develop this stuff, which I think is magical. How could people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your your great apps? That especially the one that is, uh, uh, I, sorry, uh, the the one about the orca, and then also just some of your other stuff that you're doing. Yeah, so I am very easy to find on LinkedIn as Dr. Louise Edwards. So please do feel free to reach out and connect. And then also uh, we are fairly active on um, our Found in the Fjords uh, website and social media. So if you want to, if you Google found in the fjords, you will probably find us listed in a lot of ways. We have a, if, you, if people are, have bitten the spatial bug, um, uh, we also have an environment in Spatial with a capital S um, where you can get a little bit more of a taster of the game and learn a bit more behind the scenes. And again, if you go into Spatial login, found in the fjords is our, our environment. So um, uh, we look forward to hearing from you. My, I didn't have a chance to actually talk about my amazing team, Aya Walraven and Tiff Duong. Um, Tiff is this incredible storyteller who made the transition from renewable energy lawyer to ocean advocate after an amazing life-changing experience on the Galapagos. And she came up with this incredible multi-layered um, VR story for us, having never been in a VR headset and watching a little bit of Ocean Rift um, gameplay. So that's incredible. And then Aya is 
uh, a free diver who forages for her own f- food off um, Vancouver Island in Victoria. And she is a tech genius and has been kind of helping with our sound design and uh, composing music and taking all of this incredible footage that we got from um, audio footage from underwater and, and, and synthesizing that for the game. I couldn't ask for a better team to be on this journey with. And I'm so grateful every day for having them because they've made everything that we've produced um, better. Amazing. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for paving the way with VR. And as you talked about in the show, doing stuff that maybe a lot of educators just aren't comfortable, maybe don't have the knowledge or the skills. And here we have this wonderful medium, virtual reality, to share it with students and and moreover, other people in the world. So thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing more content produced by you and your amazing consulting company. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck to everybody. I would just a last piece of advice to anybody considering it. If you're interested and you you think you have ideas and to want to create, just jump in and have a go. Awesome. Bye for now. Bye.